0: Producing these videos take a lot of time and they take resources too guys all the the computers the cameras the blah 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 they take resources so if God touches your mind and your heart bless this ministry if it helps you if these teachers help you bless the ministry send a donation or even become a monthly partner with me so that I can continue to do these things I don't do it I don't do it to make money God forbid, but I do it that the ministry may be supported and that I might continuously with joy, because it does give my heart joy, to continuously bring these lessons to you for your benefit, for your spiritual enrichment. Okay, so help me out. All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, before we get into chapter one, just in case you have not seen the introduction to the book of Matthew, go back. Look at the video that I made on the introduction in the introduction of concerning Matthew. I talked about the author of the book of Matthew, basically the time of the book of Matthew, 50 to 70 A.D. Matthew's purposes for writing to declare to the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah, their long awaited Messiah, as well as to deal with certain issues concerning the destruction of Jerusalem and why Jesus, if indeed he was the Messiah, is the Messiah, why he did not set up the kingdom, the long-awaited kingdom prophesied by the prophets of the Old Testament. and why, So things of that nature, and as well as the audience, the intended audience for the book of Matthew, who are the Jewish people, namely, all Jews, but in particular, believing Jews, okay? Now, we're gonna get into chapter one with that. And in chapter one, for the most part, much of the chapter is the genealogy of Jesus. Now, Now, I'm gonna read through a lot of it. And at certain times, I'll stop and comment about certain names in particular, because they have a certain value that I wanna place upon it. And value that we'll see in Old Testament scripture. But nevertheless, I won't deal with the genealogy of Jesus in the same way that I dealt with the genealogy in Genesis. And if you look back, we did a commentary on the book of Genesis as well. And so and the reason why is the genealogy in Matthew is different from the genealogy of Genesis, and there are different focal points that the genealogy of Jesus is trying to make in the book of the New Testament, okay? So, as we move through that, we'll highlight certain names, and hopefully, we'll be able to complete the book of, that is, chapter one, in this single recording, all right? Ready, guys? Let's start. Genesis, I'm sorry. (laughs) Matthew, chapter one the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, let's just simply deal with that because that's a lot of information that Matthew is throwing at at us very quickly. So he is letting us know that this is the record or the genealogy, and also, by the way, for your information, the record or the genealogy of the Jewish people before the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. were kept in the temple. Okay, so the genealogy of Jesus could clearly be traced because a record of this was kept in the temple. But nevertheless, we are dealing with the genealogy of Jesus. um, And in this genealogy, he calls him Jesus, the Messiah. Now, this is the same word Jesus when it says Messiah, Yesu Christu. Jesu Christu, and the word Christu is nothing more than, and I think i will throw the Greek in alongside him, some of this stuff so you'll see some of the points that I'm highlighting here. Christu is the same word that is translated Christ, but here we can see, and we're reading NASB, New American Standard Bible, 90, 1995 edition. Normally they translate Christu Christ, mostly all the time they translated Christ. But here they decide to translate it Messiah because and here's where we have a little bit of uh, uh, interpretation on behalf of the translator. Even though Christu is translated Christ anointed one and Messiah, all three, all three. But in the remainder of the New Testament, uh, and it's another place here too, they translated Messiah because they're trying to give or show the emphasis behind the word Christu to the Jewish people. So Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, that is concerning all the hopes and expectation, the prophecies given by the prophets of the Old Testament speaking of Uh, an anointed one. The Hebrew word for that is Mashiach, anointed one, which also literally translates as Messiah, or Christos, Christ. All of it means the same thing. But the Jewish meaning of it comes out here when they translate it, I'm here in the New Testament now again, Messiah, and that it opens up the minds of the Jewish people. It catches their attention. We are talking about the one who fulfills all the who who fulfills the um, prophecies of Old Testament prophet, the one who is to come. So it it talks about him from that perspective. Jesus is the Messiah, the expectation of the Jewish prophet. Then they call him the son of David. That is from which Nathan, Nathan spoke. Second Samuel, chapter seven, concerning the one, the seed, the king who shall come forth from David and sit on his throne. And we know there are a number of things that it speaks about this particular king, that this king would sit on an eternal throne, and we'll talk about that, an eternal throne, and this king would have an eternal reign. So this particular son that comes from David is quite unique. And now it says that Jesus descends from the lineage of David, and this, deals with the issue as we move out through all the text, the continued lineage of Jesus and how Jesus is the only one uh, who can satisfy sitting on the throne of David. Okay. And then it calls him the son of Abraham. And that is Jesus is from the Jewish stock. As a descendant of Abraham, he is a Jew. So in all three of these things, what Matthew lays out clearly, and now you can see why we say, that his intended audience is primarily unto the Jews because, and you'll see this in Matthew's gospel as a whole, the Jewish flavor that he gives concerning the genealogy of Jesus, he makes three main points in verse number one. That is, he is the Messiah. the the prophetic hope of the Jewish people. He is the descendant of David, the true king, the true legitimate king who can sit on the throne of David, and he is the son of Abraham. He is one of us, that Jesus is a Jewish person himself. Okay, now let's move through the genealogy. And as we move in the record of Matthew's genealogy, Matthew records the genealogy from the line of Joseph because the genealogy of Jesus is recorded in two places in the new Testament, in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke. However, Luke deals with the genealogy of Jesus through Mary the mother. And we'll talk about that whenever we get to Luke. But we're in Matthew, so let's just simply concentrate on that. So Matthew concentrates on Jesus's lineage through Joseph, okay, through the stepfather Joseph, because we know that Jesus is not the step, not the true blood father of Jesus. And we got more to say about that as we move through this lineage. okay. but that's the idea that Matthew deals with the lineage. And we'll also deal with a few rough points to deal with some confusion as to why Matthew chose this lineage through Joseph, but not right now. All right, so now let's begin at verse number two. And as I said to you guys earlier, we'll stop occasionally and deal with certain names in particular uh, uh, as it has to do with, and I'm going to highlight certain relevance in the genealogy through, um, through Joseph. Okay, anyway, verse number two. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. So the first thing we see, and I don't want to get into a comparative analysis and I won't get into one, between the, uh, the lineage of Jesus uh, in the book of Matthew over against the lineage of Jesus in the book of Luke. We're not gonna do that, but I will make a comment concerning this. When Matthew deals with the lineage of Jesus, Over against um, uh, the lineage of Jesus in the book of Luke, we see Matthew begins. He he deals with the ascendancy of the lineage of Jesus. That is from Abraham upwards, from Abraham upwards, up unto Joseph. What you'll see in Luke is Luke goes from Joseph downward. That is from the lineage of me. And I'm saying Joseph. But I'll talk about that when we get into Luke. So you got to let me let me go on that right now. But Luke deals with it from the lineage of Mary, Joseph, down unto even, uh, uh, I'm sorry, even unto Adam. Okay, so he goes from uh, top down and Matthew goes from bottom up as he deals with the lineage. But he begins with Abraham. And so that is as, as he talked about Jesus, son of David. Remember, Jesus, the Messiah, son of David son of Abraham. So now he begins to deal with that lineage, even in particular from Abraham. What is unique about Abraham is Abraham is the called one of the Jewish people. He is the called one of the Jewish people. Abraham is the first Jew. Okay? They became Jews because of Genesis chapter 17, the act of act of all right, I'm sorry I don't know why I'm hesitating so much the act of circumcision that God commanded Abraham to do that all Jewish males should be circumcised this is the beginning of Jewishness okay but what we also have to remember it's a beautiful thing and I'm so tempted to just deal with it but we have to remember also that it is in Genesis chapter 12, that Abraham was called in the first place. And I'm gonna try not to get too excited about these things because I start talking real fast. But in Genesis chapter 12, God calls, we see the calling of Abraham coming to a land that I will show you and I bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, right? And then I gives that great thing in you, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed and seed being singular, as Paul lets us know, and I believe it's Galatians chapter three. Seed singular, that is, in Jesus himself and Jesus alone. Not so much in all the Jewish people, all the Gentiles will be blessed. No, in one in particular, all the Gentiles, nations of the earth, will be blessed. But the point that I'm trying to make here is, In the call of Abraham, in in chapter 17, the circumcision, the rite of circumcision, the beginning of the Jewish people, and that highlights that concerning Jesus. Jesus is a Jew, but also in Genesis chapter 12, guess what we can say about Abraham? Because notice now, Abraham was not commanded until he was what is it, 86 years of age. He left. He departed Haran of Mesopotamia when he was 75 years old. Then came the commandment of circumcision, I believe, when he was 86 years old. I have to check that once again. All right. But nevertheless, then came the command of circumcision. So you have a good amount of time from his calling unto the command of circumcision when he became this Jewishness. So. In between that time, and this is the point that I'm trying to say, from 12 up until 17, in all of that time, Abraham was not a Jew. He was basically, if we had to call it, Gentile. All the world was basically, if you just simply say Gentile, they became Jews in the circumcision of Abraham in seven in chapter 17, I believe 86 years of age, I'll check. But so what we see in Abraham is Gentile as well as Jew. And this becomes a hint as we work through Matthew's lineage concerning Jesus as he's going to stop. And I don't want to get into it prematurely. He's going to make certain stops uh, dealing with Gentiles. That is to say, even though Matthew, beautiful thing, it's so beautiful, it makes you want to jump. But even though Matthew's intended audience is primarily to the Jewish people, he still hints that Jesus is not only the Messiah unto the Gent, I'm tired, to the Jews, but he is also savior and Messiah To the Gentiles as well. And Matthew hints at this in the lineage of Jesus, even in his gospel. And you'll see him dealing with certain things like the Greek Syrophoenician woman. You see that. And you'll also see about, uh, I believe it's in the feeding of the 4,000. I believe Matthew records that. But in the 4,000, I don't want to get into it prematurely. But these aren't Jews. And then you'll see it even at the end of Matthew's gospel in the commission that Jesus gives after he rose from the dead. And that commission is go out unto all the nations, all the Gentiles. So Matthew, even though intended for the Jews, He still speaks and he hints that Jesus is also Messiah to the Gentiles. But we will see that as we move even further in the lineage. Okay, but let's go on. So we won't make this exceptionally long and hopefully we can finish chapter one in one video. I don't know. But so that is he talks about Abraham. All right. Father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah. Now, verse three. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. (laughs) Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram. Again, we got to pause there. So notice what what, what Matthew is bringing up in his uh, genealogy of Jesus. He talks about, as he moves on downward, I'm sorry, moves on upward to Judah. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, Perez and Zerah, were twin brothers by Tamar. And Tamar, remember now, Tamar was the, uh, the daughter-in-law of Judah who disguised herself as a prostitute. She kinda played the harlot, so to speak. Played the, pro- we say harlot the prostitute and she slept with Judah, and but but okay, and I don't wanna get into all of that background, okay? But she did this particular thing in sleeping with Judah, and she bore these twin sons by Judah. So, two things we wanna see. The act, and I don't wanna talk so much about the act, not so much that it was harlotry, but she did portray herself in this manner. That's how she portrayed herself, But nevertheless, the point that I want you to see, notice what Judah, remember now, when it deals with lineage, a person, okay, let me just simply say this, an individual is always reckoned through the father. So you are determined, say for instance, the family, your family name, or as the Jews, your tribal name, whether you are uh, of Judah, or whether you are a Levite or whether you are of any other, any of the other tribes of Judah, Benjamin, Simon, or whatever, it is always reckoned through the father. So whatever the father is, that's what the child is. You got it? So if your father is from the tribe of Judah and say, for instance, he marries someone from the tribe of Levite, that child will be considered of the tribe of Judah. He will not be reckoned from the mother he will be reckoned from the father. And this is what modern Judaism does. Modern Judaism reckons from the mother. This is incorrect. Biblical Judaism reckons from the father. So it is from the father that you're reckoned from. Okay. But okay, that was just a tidbit. Here as we're talking in verse number three, uh, Judah having a son by Tamar. Notice here. The son by Tamar. Tamar is a Gentile. Remember what I was just telling you about what Matthew is so wonderfully doing in his gospel in that even though the intended audience is unto the Jews, Matthew is still in a sublime way bringing in the Gentiles. And notice Tamar was not Jewish. Tamar is a Gentile. And then once again, we see what? that little game that she played. And and it's not so much in unrighteousness because, and the reason why I hesitate to get into all of that, is because once Judah found out that Tamar herself was pregnant, and Judah said, burn her alive. And that's what Judah's judgment was until he found out she was pregnant by him. And then Judah said these words, she's more righteous than I am. So I don't want to get into all of that. but she portrayed herself in that manner. And so we see Jesus coming to save Gentiles, as well as Jesus coming to save all kinds of people. That is the unrighteous, not just righteous Jews, but unrighteous, because there are not so so righteous Jews that Jesus is saving, because you'll see many who were unrighteous in this line. Okay, enough of that, and so, the lineage continues through Perez and from the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram. Okay. Now, as we're dealing with this lineage, again, let me help you guys out. Don't confuse and think that it comes through this man that man and these are the only sons. No, there are other sons that these men have but it is only through specific sons that Jesus, that is the line of Christ that Jesus descends from. Okay. Alright, so now let's go on. Uh, four, Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. Now, watch this, let's keep going. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed. The father of Jesse. Let's just do six. Jesse was the father of King David. Okay. So now in verse number four, so now he just simply goes on. He's continuing with the lineage and then he comes up with a name particular Salmon. And this is important because verse number five, what Salmon was the father of Boaz. Okay. Salmon's son, was Boaz and Salmon. Salmon was one of the spies. Remember the spies that were sent into the land of Canaan to investigate the land. All right. So Salmon was one of those spies who was sent into the land to investigate. And he actually married Rahab. And remember Rahab. And we, this is the one we see in the book of Joshua. I think with it Joshua chapter two, Rahab the harlot, or in other words, Rahab the prostitute. And it seems to suggest that Rahab was a prostitute herself and she ran a house, a house of prostitution. So what do we see? One of the 12 spies that were sent to spy out the land of Canaan married Ruth of Jericho and she was a Canaanite in, I'm sorry, Rahab. (laughs) She was a Canaanite. Not only was she a Canaanite, She was a prostitute. Again, notice the idea that Matthew is continually bringing in Jesus, not only the savior of Jews, even though that's who I'm writing to, but he is the savior of Gentiles, even uh, 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 reputable Gentiles, Gentiles of disrespect or Gentiles of certain notoriety. And Rahab was a prostitute. Jesus, the savior of all kinds of people. And you'll even see that as we're moving through the gospel of Matthew himself. Matthew was a tax collector who Jews thought could not be saved, would not be saved. Although they said in general, all Jews would be saved. But tax collectors, that's the exception. But anyway, <laughs> Rahab, she was a Gentile and notice, let's continue on. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, the father of who Boaz was the father of Obed. Boaz married Ruth. And who was Ruth? The book of Ruth lets us know that Ruth was a Gentile. She is called Ruth the Moabitess. And even as we talk about Moabitess, that is the Moabites came from an incestual, incestual, a relationship between Lot and his daughter. Lot and his daughter. His daughter got Lot drunk, and Lot didn't know he was drunk, and his daughter had sex with Lot. And go see what I, 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 the video that I did on that in the book of Genesis. But that's an incestual relationship and, and that it had uh, children from, and they became, this why Moab. Moab, it literally means in Hebrew, of my father that is children of my father, an ancestral <laughs> relationship. And so they became Gentiles, Ruth the Moabitess. These were Gentiles, non-Jews. And notice what Matthew is doing. And this is what I'm pointing out with uh, about Salmon Meritor, Rahab. He is doing that which is not normally done by Jews, including women, because when we deal with genealogy, The writers did not normally include women unless they were certain notable women or women who had done certain particular things mentioned in scripture. But in the normative, women were usually not mentioned at all. And so Matthew, as he himself is Jewish in his writing, you'll see that in the book of Matthew is Jewish. He is Jewish of Jewishness. He do include certain women at certain time. And notice the women that he includes, Gentiles. So there is a message that Matthew is trying to give, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. And so, Ruth the Moabitess, and we're not gonna get into all of that because you can see the history of these things concerning Ruth in the book of Ruth. And then it calls uh, Ruth of Obed, father of Jesse. And we know that Jesse was the father of king David and notice it didn't say Jesse father of of David but Jesse the father of King David now let's go back to that verse again Jesus verse number one Jesus the Messiah son of David King David so it's tying right there verse number six ties Jesus on to the lineage of the king one who had who is a rightful heir of to the throne because he is a son of David, okay? Verse number six. Now let's look at the rest of verse number six. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba (laughs) (laughs) who had been the wife of Uriah. And so let me just simply stop there and talk about it. And once again, notice it brings in another woman, Not on. I just remember everything that I just said. Women are not usually noted, but David is the father of Solomon. And we know that Solomon was a son of David. He was not the firstborn son of David. We all know about the unlawful, adulterous relationship between David and Bathsheba. And so therefore, once again, in this unlawful relationship, Matthew still highlights it again. What? even though uh, it does not so much as, uh, I'm sorry, and Bathsheba, I'm sorry, I was about to make a grand mistake, was also Gentile. See it how? Again, just bringing all those principal points. He came not only to save the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Even though Matthew is not pushing this at strength, he's letting you know even at the beginning in the lineage, but now don't get it wrong. Don't get it wrong. Gentiles, rejoice. He is your Savior too. Okay, But anyway, by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, I like the way there's a lot of transliteration that's going on here by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah, because when we look at the Greek text of verse number six, it simply it, it doesn't say Bathsheba. The text never calls her name. It actually says uh and 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 Okay. David, de again, is saying tone, Solomon, it to Uriah. And that's what it says. In other words, and David begat Solomon from her of Uriah. <laughs> so when you see it in your English Bible by Bathsheba who had been the wife of Uriah, it doesn't say Bathsheba's name at all in the text. It simply says, by her of Uriah. It's, it's like this. This is the idea. This is the feeling you got to get. The, and David was the father of Solomon. By her of Uriah. <laughs> because of the adulterous relationship. That was involved in Solomon's birth. Alright. Let's continue. Verse number 7. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asa. Let me part. Let me. Stop right here. Pause again. And, and we're going to deal with, we all know Solomon, but we're going to deal with Rehoboam. Now, what I want to bring to your attention about Rehoboam is Rehoboam is the king. Okay. Okay. It works like this. First, it was Saul. Saul was Saul was king of Israel, but Saul was rejected of God. Then it was David. David was a man after God's own heart, chosen of God to be king. And it was from David that the kings would come. Okay especially the kings of Judah, namely. And from David, you got Solomon. He was the next king. And from Solomon, you got Rehoboam. All right. But there was an issue with Solomon. Solomon began to turn his back on God in the sense that Solomon, by bringing in all of those wives, and he, and those wives were pagan wives. They were Gentile wives. And I don't want to talk about what Solomon was trying to do. Maybe when we finally get into d- dealing with first Kings, we'll talk about that, about Solomon and why he married so many women, but he basically doing it for political alliances. And he married a lot of Gentile, non-Jewish women. And because they were Gentile women, they served idol gods and Solomon to pacify, to make his wives happy, Gentile wives happy. He built he built in Jerusalem, idol temples, temples to idol gods in the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. This was a bad no, no. And it displeased God. And so therefore, God sent a prophet to Solomon, declaring judgment to Solomon that he would rend the kingdom from his hand. But because of the mercy that God would show towards Solomon's father, David, because David had been faithful in God's house. He would not tear all of the kingdoms, but only all of the team. When I say the kingdom, it means the tribes. Remember 12 tribes. He would only take away 10 tribes and leave David's sons with two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, okay? And so this became, this created, uh, uh, so, but he didn't do it in Solomon's term. Why Solomon was king. God didn't do bring this judgment again because of David. Mercy to David. But in the son of Solomon's time, who is Rehoboam right here, this Rehoboam, God would bring about this judgment. So therefore, it is in Rehoboam, this Rehoboam here, that the kingdom of Israel, which was once united, all 12 tribes split into 10 tribes that became Israel, or sometimes called Samaria, or the northern, the north, okay? Israel and Judah. It's split with the southern now, the tribe of Judah, all right? So it is under Rehoboam that you see this split, and that's the history of that, and that's why I highlighted his name in particular. Okay, where am I? Verse number eight. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. Let me just do nine to Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. who wee Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Okay, now what we see here, let, verse number eight, let me bring out these particular names. And notice, just certain names. We see uh, Uzziah. Now, this Uzziah, was a good king, this was during the time, and God had granted, let me say it properly, God had granted Uzziah, the king, great success in the waning days, as as we were moving toward the waning days of Judah's destruction. But this Uzziah was that particular king whom God had prospered. And when Uzziah had began, began to really become great, and God had really blessed him, Uzziah was lifted up in pride and in arrogance, and it was not enough for this Uzziah to be a great king only, but Uzziah wanted to be a king and a priest. And so one day, Uzziah took a, a, a censer. Okay, now I don't want to get into all of the details, but a censer was a pot that had coals, coals in the pot, and in those coals you would pour oil on the coals, and when the oil came on the coals, it would create a smoke. This was the job only of the high priest. I'm sorry, of the priest, only of the priest. And remember, we're talking about the Levitical priest and what Uzziah did. That foolish king had the gall to go into the holy place. Remember, only the priest could serve in the tabernacle. The Levitical priest, uh, the, the, the Levites could serve. In the tech ta- to serve the tabernacle and by this time it was the temple of God and so the Levites would serve basically in the outer court outer court the priest would serve minister to God in the in the inner court okay also called the holy place this is the place where you had the lamp the candelabra and there uh, 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 on the other side would be the table of showbread that would be changed. And in front of the most holy place, in front of the curtain of the most holy place would be the altar of incense, whereby the witch in, in serving the altar of incense, you are offering prayers unto God. Only the priest, the priest, not just a simple Levite, but the priest, the priest come from the tribe of Levite, but they're separate. In the sense of this is from the sons of Aaron. Only the priest could come into the, the inner sanctuary, the holy place, okay, and offer this incense, burn incense before God. This doggone Uzziah got so lifted up in pride that he determined he was gonna go into the holy place, the inner sanctuary, and do the job that only a priest would do. But anyway, make a long story short. The priest, I think it was uh, 80 priests came after that joker said, no, sir, you cannot do this. You will receive no honor from God in doing so. But still Uzziah stood there in arrogant pride as if he is going to offer an incense. But before he got a chance to begin to offer incense, God smoked that joker with leprosy. Immediately, it started popping out all over his forehead and everybody jumped back. It's, oh my God, the leprosy is just starting to take him. And right then and there, it took his whole body. God knocked him out with that. And he had to leave. He was rushed out. He ran out then. He, okay, you can see the point that I'm trying to make. God, he who, who, he, he who lifts himself up, shall be made abased. If you lift yourself up in pride, God will bring you down. And that, this is this Uzziah that God bring him down. And so he was a king. He lived on, but because he had leprosy, he couldn't live in the general population. So they had to build him a house and his son Jotham actually ran the affairs of the kingdom because he couldn't deal with any of the people while he was still alive. So God brought him down low. Okay, that's all I wanna say about that Uzziah. And that's why you see Uzziah, father of Jotham, father of Ahaz, and I don't wanna talk about Ahaz. Ahaz was a stone crook. That joker would not live right for nothing in the world. But again, that's what I was trying to tell you guys. When you look in the lineage of Jesus, these are not all righteous people. As a matter of fact, only a few are. All right. And one of those few righteous people. And we all know him. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz. And it was this Hezekiah. You read a lot about Ahaz in in, in the book of the Kings, as well as in the book of Isaiah. OK, you read a lot about, especially in the book of Isaiah. But anyway, Hezekiah was a faithful king and a good king. And it was this Hezekiah who brought back reforms. He brought back, and when I say reforms, he brought back a religious revival, religious revival in Judah. Remember, because at this time, Judah and Israel are separate, okay? So not in Israel. Israel is basically gone. (laughs) And we're not gonna talk about Assyria. But he brought revival in Judah, Hezekiah. Verse number 10, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah. Again, let's bring about some notable things. Hezekiah was, as the Bible ascribed to him, a good king. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. That's how they say it in the book of the Kings. But and this Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Now, actually, the name of Manasseh means is is basically dealing with forget. And it is so unique in that this Manasseh. Okay, I don't want to talk about it a lot, but Manasseh was the worst King Judah ever had. No one was worse than Manasseh. And even by the grace of God, no one ruled on the throne as long as Manasseh. Manasseh ruled, I believe, out. Let me make sure the numbers correct. Fifty-five years, a long time. He was the worst crook ever. For example, okay, I don't want to talk about. Remember, the temple of God in Jerusalem was the place to which the people of Israel would come to worship God, and we see Hezekiah doing a lot of restoration towards the temple and towards the revival. I just told you that the son of Hezekiah, Manasseh, remember his name means to forget. He lived up to his name. That is everything his father believed in and all the things that he did. Manasseh did his natural best to forget the God of his father and Manasseh basically destroyed and I when I say destroy the temple I don't mean to literally tear it down but he removed certain things from the temple that Joker brought he literally bought statutes of idols into this temple even statues such as Asherah and even Baal and these are fertility gods of sex sexual fertility gods it was this Manasseh who ran after the prophets of, boy, I can talk about that. This Manasseh, who sub, who subdued the true prophets of God, it was this Manasseh who according to tradition that killed Isaiah the prophet by putting, encasing his body into a hollowed out tree trunk, encasing his body into a hollowed out tree trunk and sawing it in half. It was this Manasseh king of Judah who got rid of all, let me stop preaching. He got rid of, as we would call it today, all the Bibles in Jerusalem, this son of David. He got rid of all the Bibles to the which when Josiah should become king, he sends Hilkiah, the priest, and he begins to say with joy, I have found a scroll. I have found the scroll of God. I have found the Old Testament scroll. Why is he excited? When you expect to find the scrolls of the Old Testament, of the scrolls of Moses, wouldn't you expect to find that all over Jerusalem? This is the holy place, the temple you would expect. No, no, no. Manasseh burned them all, got rid of them all, tried to kill all of the prophets of God. This Manasseh, and would you believe it? In judgment, God allowed Manasseh to be taken captive. And while Manasseh was taken captive, I don't know. I'm living off the let me, guys, just let me do it. While that joke was taken captive, Manasseh got saved. Again, what is the point? Even in Matthew, God can save anybody, even the worst of individuals, and Manasseh is classified as the worst joker in the world. He got saved, God returned him back to Judah, he was returned back to the throne, but because, I love it, he had done so much wickedness, so much damage, he had undid so much of the worship, he could not undo what he had done. It was too late. And that is dealing with a principle. And I've told you guys before in many of my teachings, a point of no return. When you will say when God says because of the sins of Manasseh, I will not turn around. I don't care if Moses, I, 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 no one, I don't care anybody who stands before me to try to be a go between between them. No, sir. I will destroy Judah. Such destruction as came through Babylon. Okay, I went way off the line. But even still, let me keep going. And then this later on, Manasseh, he was the father of Ammon, the father of, he was no good. <laughs> Ammon, the father of Josiah, to the whom I named my son. My second son, I named Josiah. But anyway, this son, this Josiah. King of Judah, he became king at a relatively young age, I believe nine years old. So he had to have other people to be kind of ruling the kingdom until he became of age. But it is this Josiah. I love him. And the reason why I named my son after him. Josiah was a faithful king. And the Bible says there were. And this is to be taken in a literal sense. No other king like Josiah who was faithful to God. If you'll let me say it this way, God, let me say it like I want to say it. Josiah didn't get that. Now, even though Josiah brought about many reforms, even Josiah, remember Judah and Israel separated. Remember the North, the South and the north. Judah, the South, Israel, the North, they're separate kingdoms. Okay. But, and Israel has already been basically uh, scattered and other things. I don't want to get into the history of that. Josiah not only made reforms in Judah, that young man went as far as Israel into another kingdom. And he started making reforms there, tearing down the altars to the idol gods there. No king like Josiah. When that joker became king, Josiah said, let me tell you something. You're going to worship God because I tell you to. And so, so I might have went since I did this. Okay, guys, bear with me, but you appreciate it. You don't worship God because I tell you, which makes the dis. There's a difference between the reforms of Hezekiah and the reforms of Josiah. The reforms of Hezekiah, he encouraged the people in a voluntary reform to worship God. Put away your idols and worship God. So the people did this along with Hezekiah, voluntarily with Hezekiah to worship God. It wasn't like that with Josiah. Josiah said this, I'm the king of Judah. I worship the true God and guess what? You will too. And I didn't ask you if you wanted to, I didn't ask you to join me. I'm telling you, you are going to worship the true God. So that's Josiah. (laughs) So Josiah's reform came with strength and in Josiah's reformed, He removed the high places that none of the other kings would do. He would move the high. So that's why I named my son Josiah. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with strength and don't let nothing. That's why they said concerning Josiah. He did not turn to the left hand. He didn't turn to the right hand. Josiah, (laughs) steadfast. That's a king and God loved him. But nevertheless, I don't want to tell you about how he died. There's another thing once we get into the book of the kings. So that's that Josiah. Verse number 11. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Okay, a couple things I need to talk about. So now, from Josiah became, oh my God, still working with it. He became the father of Jeconiah and, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So that's where it ends this particular section. Okay, so now let me go back. Because it was something I forgot to tell you guys. So, from Abraham to King David, remember that section that I dealt with earlier, okay? From Abraham to King David, that genealogy was 14. That was a list of 14 peoples, all right? From 14. From King David up until Jeconiah is another 14 generations. You got it? Then that's what he done. 14. Then another 14, and I'll talk about that as we get to the end of the genealogy. I'll talk about what's going on behind that. But now let's get back into verse number 11. Concerning the son of Josiah, Jeconiah, all right? This Jeconiah is also called Coniah. Now, what's, particular, what's important to see about him in the book of Jeremiah, I think, chapter 22, Jeremiah chapter 22, Coniah was the son of David. He said he was son of David, sitting on the throne of David, legitimate, legitimate son of David, sitting on the throne of David. Okay, but it was this Jeconiah, and I don't want to do it. I love it so, I really do. But it was this because you see Josiah. Actually, Josiah. Then you see. Then on down we find Jehoiakim. You got it. And then Jehoiakim, and then gonna Je- <laughs> So. What Matthew is not trying to do is deal with every single person in the lineage of Jesus. He is not trying to do that. He is only covering certain ones and he's creating a number for 14. Okay. but Jeconiah, Jeremiah chapter 22, what's unique about him is this. Jeconiah, he he was a bad king, disobedient to God. He wouldn't do right. And he was later on enslaved. uh, Taken as a captive, not enslaved, but he was taken as a captive and in prison. He was later on let go out of his prison. Okay. Uh, they had God had mercy on him, released him from the prison. And he sat at the king's table. But nevertheless, he never returned to the land of Judah, his own land. He never returned. And this was the judgment of God through the mouth of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah, his disobedience, was taken to Babylon, put in prison, later released, but the point is, in that prophecy of Jeconiah called Ekoniah in um, Jeremiah, we'll see uh, the wailing of Jeremiah. Oh, land, land or oh, earth. Oh, earth. As he's wailing out, he says, this is a terrible thing that has happened to Jeconiah. The judgment that God has brought upon him that no son. This is extremely important, especially as we move through the book of Matthew. No son that will come from Jeconiah will sit on the throne of David ever. No descendant who comes from the line of Jeconiah will ever sit on the throne of David. But, and notice here guys, as we're dealing with Jesus's lineage, Jesus King, Jesus, as Matthew is pointing out here, is a descendant of the throne. I'm sorry, descendant through this Jeconiah. So therefore Jesus would be disqualified. That's the general idea. If Jesus, Jesus, was a descendant of Jeconiah. He is disqualified from disqualified from King, which would make him disqualified from being Messiah. So how can Jesus be this King of this son of David King and Messiah? If he descends from Jeconiah and Jeconiah's line, no son should come from him, even though we'll see and and no, no King ever from Jeconiah. And that's why, Oh, guys, I'm going way so far. But even this after the Babylon, remember, they were they were in Babylon for 70 years. And after they began to return from Babylon, Nehemiah, Ezra, we want to get through all that history, Nehemiah, Ezra and all of that. Those who came, we see a particular man who's mentioned. And you'll see this, especially in the book of Zechariah, as well as in, I think, Ezra as well. Zerubbabel. And he is called the governor of Judea of what was formerly, uh, Judah. All right. A region of Judah, Judea, those people, Zerubbabel and this Zerubbabel is a descendant of Jeconiah, but never is he called King, never called King. Why? The curse of Jeremiah that no son who descends from Jeconiah can ever be King. And here, as I'm trying to make you guys aware of, Matthew is saying that Jesus is from Jeconiah. And here's the point that you guys need to see. Jeconiah is the legitimate king. I can't stress this enough. He is the legitimate son of David who sits on the, th- the throne of David. So you do need a descendant from Jeconiah in some sense. But if Jeconiah's sons, all his sons are re- rejected. How can Jesus be legitimate? <laughs> and this is something that Matthew is trying to say, too. We'll talk about that later on. But let's go through here. So, again, he issues the second 14 with Jeconiah at the time of their deportation to Babylon. Five eighty six, five eighty seven B.C. OK, now he goes into the third section of 14. 12. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, see it, became the father of Shealtel and Shealtel, the father of Zerubbabel. That's that Shealtel and Zerubbabel that I was telling you about who came after Ezra, Nehemiah during the times of like the prophet Zechariah. This, I've already just said that, this Zerubbabel time, right? So after that deportation time, Zerubbabel, and I just told you who this Zerubbabel was, governor, governor of Judea, but not the king. 13, Zerubbabel was the father, now, okay, let me make mention of Zerubbabel too. It's a beautiful thing, it's such a beautiful thing. It is in Zerubbabel, or should we say after Zerubbabel, even those descendants on downward, you see the line of David becoming the fallen hut when he says that there will be a a branch of some kind that will come about from the fallen house of David from, okay. In other words, the power and the majesty of David's line, you'll see that beginning with Zerubbabel and afterwards onward begin to diminish so that by the time it gets to Joseph, we see that the house of David is no longer a great house. It's no longer a remember David is the great king, one of the greatest of Israel's king. But by the time it gets to Joseph, son of David, it's a fallen house, and it is in this Zerubbabel, after him that the house begins to decline. Okay, but anyway, so let's go on. Thirteen, Zerubbabel. Was the father of Abahud, Abahud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. And that's one of the reasons why you don't see much talked about these particular men, as you see the declining, declining. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Methan, Methan, the father of Jacob. And notice, guys, I didn't make a lot of commentary, not a lot said about these men as we move into that particular time of the 400 years, the 400 years is starting to move into that time. 400 years, that is the closing of the Old Testament uh, 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 with the with the prophecy of Malachi and up until the opening of the New Testament with the entrance of John the Baptist. But the lineage is still continuing. And it's also declining. And so nothing much to be said. But Jacob here, verse number 16. Now we're coming into the contemporary time of Jesus' birth. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So now let's deal with that issue. So Joseph's father. Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, Jacob and Joseph. Notice now it does not call here anywhere. Joseph is the father of Jesus. Never is it said that here. It says what? Joseph is the fa- is the husband of Mary. And then it says what? Mary. By whom Jesus was born. So even as we've been working all this time with the lineage of Joseph, when it starts talking about Jesus, there is a switch. So even though Jesus is of Joseph, that is his stepfather, and we are given the lineage, it says he is the son of Mary. It does not call him the son of Joseph. So now let me tell you why. Remember when I said this thing about Jeconiah, uh, Coniah, remember that? Oh earth, earth, no son that descends from Jeconiah shall ever sit on the throne of David. No physical descendant, but it is still Jeconiah who is the legal and lawful heir To the throne. So therefore one of his sons would be the legal and lawful heir. But his sons can't sit. No son who has the. Watch this guy. No son of Jeconiah. Who physically. Physically. Genetically comes from Jeconiah. Can sit on the throne. You got it. But the legal right to the throne. Is through Jeconiah. And this is why. Matthew deals with. Joseph's lineage, it gives Jesus a legal right to the throne through Jeconiah because he is the legal heir. But remember, it also satisfies the curse of Jeremiah. Notice you cannot physically, genetically descend from Jeremiah. And that is why he says, even though Jesus is of Joseph, But Joseph is the stepfather, giving Jesus the rightful, legal heir to the throne, but because he is, notice, of Mary. And that's when the rest of this text begins to talk about the virgin birth. That is, it was Joseph did not impregnate Mary. For if Joseph impregnated Mary, then Jesus would be the seed of Joseph. Disqualifying Jesus from sitting on the throne. But because Jesus is not the literal physical genetic son of Joseph, this allows him to be to sit on the throne. This, in other words, it satisfies the curse of Jeremiah. What did Jeremiah say? A descendant, a physical descendant of, of Jeconiah, cannot sit on the throne. Jesus is not a physical descendant of of Jeconiah, but he is Joseph's stepson. And as Joseph's stepson, he inherits the right of Joseph. And what is the right of Joseph, his stepfather? The right of Joseph, his stepfather, is to sit on the throne. And and he satisfies the curse of Jeremiah because he has the right of Joseph, his father, but he does not descend from Joseph, his father. Isn't that beautiful? But anyway, now let's deal with 17. And let me see how much time I've been on this. We're gonna stop the video here. We won't finish chapter one, but I think it was beautiful. I love genealogists. 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David, now watch this, remember I told you guys earlier? All the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Notice how he's not counting every single individual. He did it for a particular reason, I'll tell you that. And, but he only, and so he only counted, he selected 14, selected 14 from Abraham to David. From David to the deportation, the Jewish deportation, Judah, to Babylon, another 14 generations. He didn't, he's not counting every single one because the lineage would be much longer, like you'll even see in in a similar way in Luke, but he's not doing every single one, he's choosing select men, to come up with 14 gener- generations, okay, uh, up until from David to the deportation to Babylon, and then finally, after they come back from Babylon, after the deportation from, uh, to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. And so, from the time of Babylon, coming back from the Babylonian, uh, deportation from Babylon, roughly 539 B.C., and I'm not getting all of that, up until Jesus, another 14 generations. He's only counting certain ones, okay? And so 14, so you got what? Three sets of 14, three sets of 14, 14, 14, 14. But before I get into that, notice again, he says from the the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, that word Messiah literally is Christos. But notice here, the translators then translated from to Christ because they're dealing. See, they're doing a little uh, interpretation for you. They're letting you know he's primarily talking to the Jewish people and the Jewish people would not say Christ. They would say Messiah. So he's bringing in once again, the very thing that he brought in from the beginning, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. So he ends this section Messiah, the expectation of the Jewish people okay, and another 14 generations. So now let me talk about that. So the question you would ask now is, since it is clear Matthew is not trying to give us a complete lineage of Jesus, but he has determined to give us a select lineage of Jesus and that select lineage was in groups of 14. One group, 14, another group, 14, another group, 14. Why did Matthew choose to do this? And the reason is simple. 14, and this is dealing with Gematria, or the numerical relationships of numbers, of numbers to names. Because with the Jewish people, David, the name David, King David, would have a numerical value of 14. And so, therefore, as Matthew is emphasizing that Jesus is the King of the Jews. When he deals with the genealogy of Jesus, he deals with that genealogy by counting 14, the number of David's name. He emphasizes he is indeed king from the line of David. But notice also, he separates it in blocks of threes. Three deals with the Trinity. He is not only king, he is also God. All right, guys, thank you. I know that was very long, but I truly enjoyed it. And I think it ends pretty, as a pretty good note. So join me next time when we complete chapter one and we get into the birth of Jesus. See you then.